0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
1: Hey, this is Megan Rapino, And I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More.
2: New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts.
1: What's up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review-Journal talks about hockey uh i am ben goats joined on the zoom line by my colleagues adam hill and dave shane with a special guest uh at and sportsnet analyst mike mckenna mike thanks so much for joining us today hey my pleasure always happy to stay busy talk some golden knights hockey Awesome, and we have so much we want to get into you in terms of what's going on in the NHL, your career, and all that. Uh, Before that, I just want to remind people uh, check out all our coverage at reviewjournal.com. Rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, please do to this podcast. And we also want to thank SDN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos for sponsoring us and favor uh, drink a favor for presenting us. Uh, But you know, Mike, I want to start out with basically what I would ask anyone right now, just. How you doing? What's, what's going on in your life? Well, I could give you the, the sunny sky
2: answer that, Hey, things are great. Just waiting for hockey. Uh, but I'll be honest with you too. I mean, we're, we're struggling a bit, just doing e-learning and and can't wait for that to be over with. Uh, I've got a daughter who's in first grade who's Mm -hmm. does not want to learn from us. (laughs) She wants (laughs) to learn from her, from her teacher and her schoolmates and be there. And, um, I think a lot of people are in the same boat, but afraid to say it, you know, so uh, it hasn't been particularly easy, uh, doing, trying to take that, take care of that. And then on top of that, get work stuff done, uh, with VGK. And so it's been a lot, uh, in a lot of ways it's tested us, but you know, I, I think in any situation like this, you learn a lot about yourself and your family and, and ultimately you, you get more efficient at doing things and you learn better ways to do it and just
1: power through. Yeah, for sure. Well, what are some of the ways you are powering through? Do you have any hobbies you've picked up or uh, anything exciting going on in the household? I feel like I'm always
2: fixing things uh, and subsequently screwing that up and going back and refixing things that I've screwed up during the fix. Uh, that happens occasionally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I I cook a lot. If anybody follows me on social media, they know that that's the case. So uh, that, that can take up a couple hours in the afternoon. But um, I guess what I've really been thankful for is just being able to take our, our dog, uh, for pretty long walks on occasion for, uh, for a guy that's 12 years old, blind and diabetic. He loves to get out and bang around the
3: neighborhood. So
2: that part's <laughs> been fun. Uh, no new hobbies, but just kind of expanding on my past
3: ones. How, how did the cooking really take off for you? Like, when did you learn? When did you pick it up? And kind of, when did you learn that you were going to be kind of good at this? Uh, good as a very relative term, but oh, adequate, adequate, I would it. say,
2: um, you know, what? it's, it, it kind of goes hand in hand with the pro hockey lifestyle that you're done by, you know, well, early in my career, you're done by noon late in my career. You're done by two in the afternoon because then we started to have workouts and video sessions and more important things, uh, as the game progressed. But, uh, yeah, I just found myself having this spare time in the afternoon. And if you've got three, four hours to prepare dinner and early in my career, when I didn't have kids, what else was I going to do? I wasn't a big video gamer. Um, I, I didn't have hobbies outside of, like in season hobbies, I guess I should say, like I do in the summertime, so um, I just started to kind of pick things up and, and truthfully started watching a show called Top Chef on Bravo, and that started it for me. I started watching that show, I got really into it uh, and wanting to try things, and then I got a subscription to food and wine, so I started trying to make those recipes and uh, it's just, it's a continuing learning process. It's a lot like goaltending or hockey that, and that's why I enjoy it. You can, you can feel yourself tangibly getting better as you do more of it. If you're from St. Louis, so you
0: have to barbecue though, right? That's kind of part of the, part of the deal, I guess.
2: Grilling and smoking is, is, uh, quintessential to the area that I'm from. And, and it's something that uh, it's not easy to do. Like I've screwed up a lot of meat. I really have. And, and you can make it <laughs> edible, uh, and you can kind of pass it off that it might be good, but uh, I've gotten a lot better at that over the years. And now it's, again, like being at home for these past couple of months, the, the smoking uh, has really taken off for me. I'm able to usually use a smoker once or twice a week because um, it can be anywhere from a four to you know, 10 hour deal uh, you just check on every now and then. So it's pretty good at taking up time well I guess when you're not doing
0: that you guys have been doing a lot of content creation with the golden Knights I guess maybe give us a little behind the scenes glimpse of what that's been like for you guys and you know kind of keeping fans engaged i guess more than anything
2: oh well, we took it as a challenge you know this was an opportunity to flex our muscles and do different stuff and try to keep the fans engaged in different ways and it's always been a core strength of what we do within vgk is to is to bring all the heads together collaborate and try to come up with it just creative ideas that maybe people latch onto, you know, and whether it's just creating a, a program or a hashtag or a series of videos that people can, can grow with, can learn from, uh, that's always been the goal and to do it in a fun way. You know, that, that's, that's at the core. Like we, we love to do things that, that get a smile out of people and, um, that's been fun seeing those things that, you know, occasionally you bring to the table come to fruition is gratifying and you know some of them the the public really runs with others they don't but hey if you don't throw it at them you never know what they're gonna like so you gotta try it and and it's been a fun challenge for us Mm
1: -hmm. so obviously i want to get into you know the pause a little bit there's a ton of restart stuff being thrown out there as to you know hub cities and you know different playoff formats and stuff like that but i'm curious from like a player's perspective when they talk about, and we've heard Connor McDavid and guys talk about this, you need to get, you know, both regular season or some sort of exhibition games and a lot of practice time and to get kind of back in hockey shape. How much time do you think that might be? How much time would you feel you would need right now to feel comfortable, you know, seeing pucks in a game situation again?
2: Be truthful with you? I don't think it even matters what feels comfortable. I think that because of the time that's going to be allotted, that's what's going to determine how much time's needed. And at some point, it's just going to be, here's what you have, make it work. Um, I think two weeks is what I always thought. And and granted, as I got older, I realized that I didn't need to do as much on the ice in the summer. I didn't forget how to play. You know, a lot of the young guys are so used to being on the ice year round, the Connor McDavid's of the world that are just hockey machines. Um, You'd be amazed how much your body and your mind remembers. I think two weeks is really realistic in terms of a camp to get players back to where they were at least as close as they could be to the regular season in terms of timing, in terms of their familiarity with system work uh, for goaltenders tracking. It takes at least a week and a half, two weeks of camp before you really feel like you're tracking that puck and, and you're able to see it the way you want to. So I think two weeks that you're really realistic with, but if we start getting crunched on time, you can do it in a week. Just drop the puck because you know why all the players are in the same boat. They've all had the same amount of time off here. So, you know, the competitive advantage isn't going to be there. Yeah. Hockey might be sloppy. Um, but if they had to do it in a week, they could, but two weeks I think is, is kind of what you're looking at as a minimum.
3: What about just the concept of, Hey, we're going to take players and you're going to be stuck in a hotel for two months and you can walk to the rink and play. And then that's it. And that's all you can do. I mean, I just feel like people would be going crazy about that. Is that a realistic thing to ask players to do two months? Yeah. Five months. No. I, I, I'll be very
2: candid. I spent four months away from my family in the last season that I played, um, being traded and waived and sent down and called up and uh, just about everything that you could imagine in the course of one season and five teams. But um, it's hard to do. Uh, The caveat to that, though, is that if you know when the start date and the end date is to it, it's a lot different than if it's just open-ended and you don't know when things are coming. Part of what's been hard about this break. We don't know when things are coming back. It's changed the training habits of the players, uh, amongst other things. Uh, But if you tell the players, hey, you've got a chance to play for the Stanley Cup, you've also got a chance to make sure revenues don't go through the floor and you can still get paid pretty good coin here and not lose that much after it. Because let's be honest, the monetary incentive is there for guys. That two months away, you know what? We could pull it off. You start getting into three, four, five months, things are a lot different. Um, but I th- it's going to take buy-in from teams and from players and from families, too. Um, and it won't be easy. But you know what? This hasn't been easy on anybody. And and the greater good of this is to get the sport going. And I think, you know, in terms of players, you hope that, that they all feel that same way and they want to get things going. No,
1: for sure. Um, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned a little bit, but is it different at all for a goalie getting back in the swing of things? Is it tricky, you know, when you were talking about not necessarily skating that much over the summer is it tricky the first couple days at camp to kind of get those reads and reactions back or does that come kind of naturally right back to you oh it's tough that first week uh,
2: of training camp Mm -hmm. it it feels like the puck's going a thousand miles an hour and your eyes can't catch up to it Uh, and again maybe it's because I wasn't very good compared to some of the superstars of the league but um, it's tough for sure and it's really hard to replicate because you don't in the summertime, you see his shots that you do during games, you don't have to fight through traffic, you don't have bodies all around, you don't kill penalties in summer hockey. And those are the things that for myself really differentiates an average goalie from an elite goalie is how they handle, uh, how they handle traffic, penalty kills, uh, how they think the game, and that's the hard part to it. So I I think that if they come back from the break, you're really going to see the natural goaltenders, the ones who can just go out and play that don't have to think their way through things and be robotic about it. And there's no right way to play play the position. But without question, some players will be quicker, some goalies will be quicker to be back in game shape than others.
0: We've heard things like, you know, maybe if Montreal gets in, teams don't want to face Carey Price. You know, we've seen in the past, guys get hot. You know, a, a goaltender can get hot and, and carry a team. Does it lend itself maybe to, you know, a team that that's maybe further down in the standings, making a run and things like that, because a goalie can carry a team, I guess, in the playoffs that so it all just becomes a crap
2: shoot, I guess, in, in some regard. Yes. Well, it's true, but it, that's the same way, regardless of the time of the year or season, uh, you do see it even in a normal situation where a goalie will carry a team, um, Yeah. I mean, Carey Price is a good goalie. He's an excellent goalie. There's a lot of great goalies in the NHL and uh, I I don't really put a lot of stock into that uh, in terms of, you know, geez, we're going to face this guy. Well, you have to face the whole team, you know, and to me the bigger thing coming back is that the teams are going to be healthy. You're going to see what these teams envisioned on paper at the start of the season coming out of the break. And that's, that's a whole different animal more so than just running into a goaltender. You're running into full power teams where, you know, a team that's in 20th, 20th place, 21st place, if that's what they choose to do with the format, maybe they're healthy and they're scary. So uh, you never know. And that's, that's, the, that's the great unknown to me.
0: And where do you think the Golden Knights fit in with that in terms of getting back to being healthy and, you know, being in a position, you know, if there is a postseason and things like that?
2: Oh, it's a lot better than going into the postseason missing Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone (laughs) and a healthy Alex Tuck. And, and, you know, it's... uh, I wouldn't want to be rolling without either of those guys. And that's not a knock on the depth of the Golden Knights because the depth is great. And it's what's carried the team to the first place standing in the division. Uh, But when you go into playoffs, you want to have all your horses and and especially two leaders like that on the club. Uh, I just think it makes the Golden Knights' chances that much stronger when they're in the lineup.
1: They say a healthy gut means a healthy you. Favor apple cider vinegar shots bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two-ounce shot. Better digestion, stronger immune system, and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First-time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com. Well, I want to get into kind of I guess your journey to get with the Golden Knights here. So obviously you retired this past summer. Uh, I feel like retirement's on everyone's minds cause we just watched a 10 part documentary on Michael Jordan's last season called the last dance. So did you know going into last season that it was going to be your last dance that you were going to potentially hang up the pads and the skates?
2: Yeah, it was on my mind for a few years and I was trying to, I was trying to gracefully plan an exit from the sport, which isn't always what a luxury people get. Um, my personal belief on this is I think far too many athletes hang on too long and either their play declines to the extent that they can't do it any longer or they can't find a contract or, and you'll just see it, you know, guys are announcing a retirement two years after they played their last competitive game. Like they thought they were going to transport back to when they were 21 and find their youth again, you know, <laughs> and that, that wasn't ever what I wanted to do. I, I, I wanted to go out of the game on my terms uh, and I was lucky I was afforded that chance, and, uh, before the last season I played, I, I had two auditions in media. And ultimately, you know, I didn't go far enough down the path to find out if I would get those because I decided I wanted to play hockey again, play one more year. Uh, and I wanted my daughter at the time, who was two, turning three, to remember me playing. That was my inspiration for it and because I just, I mean, I just went to the Calder Cup finals two years in a row game six, game seven, losses. And, and like, that's a pretty high watermark, but my family is what weighed on my mind with it. And, I thought, okay, I'm going to play one more year. Uh, I feel comfortable with what the situation is with Ottawa and what they're telling me. And I'm going to be in Belleville all year long and, unless there's a short-term call-up. And I was like, that's fine. We'll go to Canada move the family. And then everything went wild. So yeah. <laughs> when, when things got off the rails for me, that's when it really just confirmed my thinking that, okay, it is time. Um, this has been a great year to go out, spending more time in the NHL than I had, you know, most of that mm-hmm. season there. Uh, and then being able to play the last game on my terms and my family being there, winning the game, all that stuff that
3: went into it. Um, it was a perfect ending to a career. How, how tough, like you've made the decision. It's perfect ending. Is there anyone where you're like, ah, but maybe like, maybe there's even more that I can do. Maybe I'm going to miss it a little bit. Or is it just an easy decision of like, I'm at peace with this?
2: Uh, I mean, I miss the Q-tips in the locker room. They're free. Uh, they're (laughs) great, you know, really clean ears, uh, and not for me. No, I, I, do I miss the competitive aspect of it? Absolutely. Um, do I miss the anxiousness and the anxiety associated with playing goaltender? No, not at all. Um, yeah, I mean, when you're facing 45 shots a night you're going into a wagon team on hockey night in Canada and you're just going, Oh God, I hope I don't get blown out tonight. <laughs> that's not the right mindset. You know what I mean? Like that's not what you want as a pro athlete. And maybe it was the wrong one, but, um, I was very content and I still am. I, I, and thankfully, I've had the chance to, to even skate a few times since. This kind of kept my competitive fire going a bit. And I found myself just missing practice more than games, which is the oddest thing in the world to me. Um, so I, I, I'm totally at peace with it. I'm happy I did it when I did. And it, it was just a great chapter of my life that closed and opened the door to another amazing chapter.
1: Yeah. So did you know, kind of the other door you wanted to walk through right away was going to be in media? It sounds like obviously you had already been on your mind with the auditions. Well, no question.
2: And part of that too, factors in, you know, I'd I'd always been active with social media and never turned down an interview ever. Uh, If anybody finds that surprising, I'd be shocked. Uh, (laughs) But you know, it wasn't because I loved it. It's because I felt like that was my duty. Like that's what you should be doing as a professional athlete is taking every interview when people want to talk to you. And and to this day, it annoys me when players will turn things down. You know, that's my personal perspective on it. Um, I think, especially for goalies, you know, you only get interviewed when things go well, you never get interviewed when things go poorly and you never get to stand up for yourself, you know? (laughs) So uh, whatever opinion of the person writing the piece or something is like gospel and you never got to say what went wrong. Whereas in the games that you win and supposedly play well, half the time you don't have to do anything as a goalie. So (laughs) you're deferring all the credit. You know what I mean? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I I thought for sure, like media would be so fun to try. I had a radio show in college, uh, for a couple of years and I was live tweeting games. I started to write for NHL.com. I wrote for Engel magazine my whole career. So I had a journalistic bent the entire time I did it, uh, and the entire time I was playing professionally. And especially last year, uh, at the end of the season, I had a tweet that kind of took off and it was defending Marc-Andre Fleury on the, the Tomas hurdle goal in playoffs yeah, that I knew was deflected that changed course and, you know, got me hit on NHL network, which just snowballed things. And, um, it, it's, it's been great because this is so much, this is what I wanted to be doing, uh, you know, seven, eight years ago, I probably would have told you I'd take my economics degree and be working in markets or financial or something like that. But after 14 years in the game of professional, you know, why not take it? Why, why not go for that chance to stay in the game and do something that that you love and you hope people enjoy the, what you do. So what's it been like on the uh, dark side with us on the media?
0: Um, and I guess, you know, you, you have a different perspective on it, you know, playing with and, and against some of these guys during your career and you know being able to relate to like Marc-Andre Fleury and and things like that so how has it been as a member of the media and
2: walking into a news conference with your uh, goalie pads still on and things what's been interesting is that like you mentioned i've been teammates with so many of these guys and friends with a lot of these guys you know and uh, people i have talked to regularly throughout life and Yes, your dynamic changes a little bit, you know, you know, that there's a certain professionalism that you have to have that if you're asking them a question, they have to trust you, they have to know that what they're giving you isn't going to be used in a bad way, or even if they give you something that's, that they really don't want out there that you're going to take that information and internalize it and, and just learn how uh, to use that in a proper way. So uh, that aspect has been a fun, I won't even call it a challenge. It's, just, it's kind of fun to walk that line at times. Hmm. Um, and be a member of the media and still be the people's friends. Cause ultimately you can be someone's friend and be in the media. Uh, but you do have to know where the line is on the professional level. So um, that's been interesting. Uh, and, and I just, I laugh sometimes that I'm, I'm walking in a locker room as a, as a you know, reporter or journalist or analyst, whatever you want to call me. Um, it's almost surreal sometimes, but I've got started to get used to it. The more the season went on.
3: And, and you're, you're doing it in a town that, you know, you're somewhat familiar with uh, from, from back in, uh, yeah. in minors. And, and, and it was, I just, guess just talk about that experience of playing uh, in Las Vegas and what it was like then and how it's emerged as a hockey town.
2: Oh, man. It, uh, can you imagine being 22 years old out of college and you're going to go play in <laughs> Vegas? <laughs> and you tell your girlfriend at the time, hey, uh, I just got a contract in Vegas. Uh, you go ahead and finish up school. I'm going to go out there <laughs> for a season. Uh, we'll see how it goes. it it was amazing. Um, And I always say this to people though, that it was amazing because the team we had was so well run, was so well coached, was so much fun to be a part of. And the team got along that was first and foremost. That was more important than it being Vegas at all. And you'll hear that all through hockey or any sport that even if you're in the armpit of, of America, you can have a great time if you have good people around you. And we did Glenn Gullitson coaching, who's, who's made a great career in the NHL as a head and assistant coach and, you know, other players that made the NHL and guys who didn't make the NHL who were just as amazing people. Um, God, we had fun, you know, like we, we had one guy who came in and greased every bouncer in town and we were always on the list somewhere, you know, like we could get into any club and we were making 500 bucks a week in season, you know what I mean? Uh, So like just fun memories like that. We had Blue Man Group as a sponsor, Cirque du Soleil. and, And like I said, when you're, when you're not making comparatively a lot of money, I mean, we were living paycheck to paycheck, not poor by any stretch, but you know, when you're in the ECHL, you got to go home and work in the summer. That's how that works. Um, for us to be able to say, hey, we need six tickets to Cirque du Soleil, and a week later they show up in your sal- stall five rows up, that's pretty unbelievable. So, uh, And it helps when your team's good. And, and when you're yeah. in Vegas, that's easy because the other teams got other inspiration when they show up in town.
3: <laughs> I mean, th- th- those days were so fun, and the, the, pe- the fans were so passionate. Like, going to the Orleans was yeah. just such a good time for people. But, like, from that – to where Las Vegas is a hockey town is now? Could you have ever... I mean, like you probably didn't care. You were just having a good time and playing, but this has emerged as such a hockey town. now. Like, Could you have ever imagined? Uh,
2: no. Frankly, no. Uh, um, uh, for several different reasons. You know, we had a really good fan base. We averaged over 5,000 in a building that's at 7, I guess, at the Orleans, whatever it was. Like, our building looked full. The team was, was solvent. It was, it was a good deal. Um, but I wasn't sure that... You know, I I guess I should say to make the step to the NHL, you really have to draw in an entire community. You know, it can't just be a niche of people. And, And especially in Vegas, up against everything else in town, I thought there's so many entertainment dollars to spend. There's so much going on. What I underestimated and didn't understand was the driving, burning hunger of people that live in Vegas to have something they could call their own. And that's truly what that, you know, the Vegas born hashtag that'll never go away. That slogan for the team is, it's so important. And it's dead on that people in Vegas relate to this team. It's theirs, you know, you can't take that away from them. Uh, And so I I never expected it. And and it's partly because I wasn't able to see truly what the community was hungry for. and, And now they've got it. And to see what's happened is just unbelievable.
1: Yeah. Does it almost feel like your career in some ways has gone full circle where you started out, you know, here in the ECHL and now you're back, you know, helping out the...
2: I tell you what, when I I came out to audition, I remember riding out and, you know, taking an Uber to the hotel and just looking around and going, wow, this place has grown up. But I started to get those, you know, I was getting the vapors, you know, like I was getting all the emotions and we're riding along and I'm like, oh, there's the LVIC where we used to practice. Oh man, I hope I can go by where the old apartments were. And, And you know, I, I remember leaving and just thinking, This is unbelievable. Like I, I'd actually always had in my head I thought it would be fun at the end of my career to go back and play for the Wranglers like one game or like two or three until I won a game and then hung hang them up and call it quits. Like I kind of had this goofy like uh, full circle idea in my head. Uh, I think what I have now is even better. You know, I got to call my career the way I wanted to, playing the game, and then I had the chance to further it. Uh, in Vegas, again, coming full circle in a place that I knew and, and seeing it grow up is just as much fun. Okay. So let's go back to the
0: childhood a little bit. Um, We're going to ask on one thing, but in doing my research, uh, I read you were a middle school yo-yo champion. Is that true? Is that true? And can you still walk the dog and,
2: and rock the baby and all that? Yeah. Uh, well, let's, let's preface this by saying that I think that competition had three people in it. So, I mean, I was guaranteed a participation trophy at the very least. And on the, well, I guess I was guaranteed to be on the podium. Actually. Yeah. Um, I I, th- I read about that in a, like a community newspaper and I was like, well, I know how to do this. I guess I'll enter it. Well, the prize was a free yo-yo and it was like a really nice one. Like a, like a $40 yo mega with a case. And when you're 12 years old or something, this is, that's gold, you know, and probably a good thing nobody told the NCAA about that. But uh, yeah, I entered this thing. And yeah, I can still do some of those tricks. My daughter is seven wants to, you know, she saw my whole box of yo-yos that I haven't pulled out for 20 years or something. She's like, I want to learn. And so I pulled one out for her. And and, yeah, I can still uh, still rock the cradle, uh, rock the cradle. I think that's a it, yeah, I don't I think know. That's like, a Motley Crue song. Uh, rock, there you go. <laughs> uh, you know, Man on the Flying Trapeze, all those type of things. And I can still do a few of them. <laughs> well, we saw
0: Shane Knighty teach everybody how to juggle on the. Uh, I think it was the Fit Challenge. Maybe we'll get you on the yo-yo for uh, for one of the challenges.
2: You got to put out a little teaser clip of this, and if you do, I promise you, I'll get a video of it and put it up. I'll do it. But yeah, it's uh, it's. I guess it's a hidden talent that I forget about sometimes because it was nice. so long ago in a past life, you know. But yeah, I. I <laughs> against the competition of two other 12 year olds i am a champion
1: <laughs> yo-yoer <laughs> well i wanted to ask about another yeah i wanted to ask about another special skill too because uh, in addition to stopping rubber obviously in your professional career you also burned it from what i understand and you were a kart racer at one point uh yeah i did i dabbled i dabbled as a kid <laughs> um i,
2: I did I grew up in a racing family, though. My dad's five-time national champion in SCCA, which is the governing body of road racing in America. Uh, President's Trophy winner, which is the top amateur driver in the U.S. Dad won that in 83. Some other names that have won it, Roger Penske, Jimmy Vassar, Bobby Rahal. Those guys are all, in some capacity, 500 winners. Uh, so, you know, I spent the, the winter at the hockey rink and the summer at the racetrack. and mm-hmm. I was pretty good at goaltending. Um, I was pretty good at tennis. I was good at baseball. I wasn't very good at karting and I tried it for a couple of summers and it was hard for me because I started later than I did the other sports and I wasn't good at it and I just didn't enjoy it much and it wasn't going anywhere at the time. So I wasn't able to follow through on it, but man, I'm, I'm hell on wheels at the indoor car tracks. Now that I finally know something about a proper <laughs> racing line and, uh, that was one of the greatest joys I had last my last year playing. Craig Anderson is an active racer, uh, has cars and does sim racing, and you know we went and, and ripped it up together, and that's that was a blast. Yeah, I still love it. Indoor karting and, and regular karting is great fun. Well, how many, on,
3: speed, how, how many speeding tickets do you get though?
2: Oh, I haven't had one since I was probably. Okay. Oh, it's been more than a decade. More okay. than a decade. Last Mark one I got, Andre. Last one I got. I was late to coaching a goalie clinic for whatever i had something that was wrong with the car or whatever and i was just motoring and <laughs> yeah i haven't had one since thankfully
0: <laughs> mark andre is a big f1 fan is it a goalie yeah. thing you guys talk about it a lot
2: too i would imagine uh he's french canadian like they have the grand prix in montreal yeah and, and so that's ingrained in in their culture up there is racing and and karting and formula one and um, I think much more so than American and, and really French Canadian. Like that, that seems to be something that whenever I had teammates from that area, I could always talk F1 with them. Same way with the Finns. Finns have mm-hmm. always been huge on a Kimi Reichen, and Mika Salo and these Scandinavian fellas. Um, so that that's probably more the influence, uh, Mark Andre and I always have a lot to talk about though. And we haven't gone down that rabbit hole yet. I'm sure it'll happen eventually. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, awesome, Mike, I got one more for you, and we want to thank you for your time. Uh, as a reminder, everyone, you can check out his stuff at uh, Vegas Golden Knights website, uh, his Twitter account, at McKenna In Game, which he kind of tried to subtly plug there. I will just totally plug. It's a great account to follow. He's a great follow during Golden Knights games. There's a lot of insightful stuff there. Uh, but I want to close by asking you one of my favorite uh, Twitter bits of yours, which is the uh, goalie towel which of course you are always asked to rate review uh, whenever someone sends you a picture of a backup goalie on the bench towel around the neck. Uh, How did this phenomenon start? And I guess, can you just explain it uh, to our listeners about the, the backup goalie towel and the myth that goes into it?
2: The hashtag backup towel. Uh, Yeah. It's on my regular Twitter handle at, at Mike McKenna 56 shameless self-promotion. You'll see a lot of that. that. Yeah, uh, you know what? It, it it actually starts with my broadcast partner Darren Millard uh, and another guy named Kevin Woodley who run Ingol Magazine, and I was on their first podcast for Ingle Mag, and we t- started talking about it for whatever reason. I can't remember whether it was Darren or Woodley. One of those two mentioned how wouldn't it be great if somebody brought it back? You know, because we were talking about your youth and. When I was young, I knew how to put the backup towel on through junior, but it just became not cool. And that was by the late nineties. So for whatever reason it went out of style. And the last documented person we could find in the NHL was Marty Baron, uh, up until the mid two thousands. And he confirmed it. Um, we've talked about it. Uh, and he had a different technique. He preferred to have the untucked version, um, which is fine, uh, <laughs> but it's not your formal. You're, you're looking for a nice tight roll and tuck on the front side. And, um, Also, another member of our broadcast crew, Darren Elliott, and I have, we've bonded over this because he has, he had some excellent form on the backup towel with the talk. Uh, and it's just, it's absolutely mindless, Monty Python-esque fun that goalies always wore this towel around their neck in the seventies and eighties after warmups, because you're wearing like long johns underneath your stuff that doesn't dry. So you didn't want to get cold. That was the reason why, um, And then it it just, it became not like black, like black blade holders on skates. It became not cool and uh, goalie stopped doing it. Well, last season I brought it back when I was with Philadelphia late in the season, I managed to get a big orange, almost beach towel and toss it on. And we kind of started a movement within goal magazine and, and we've seen it across the league now. And um, a couple NHLers have done it, Carrie Price, Matt Murray, some others, and uh, Garrett Sparks did it in preseason amongst other guys so hopefully it continues it's it's fun it actually does serve a purpose keeps you nice and warm great insulation uh,
1: No, that's awesome well, Mike we want to thank you uh, so much for your time here as a reminder that's at Mike McKenna 56 on Twitter at uh, Mike McKenna in game his in game tweets are super super insightful and you can check out his stuff uh, on the Vegas Golden Knights website uh, you can also check out our stuff at reviewjournal.com we're trying to still pump out stuff for you guys like I said, rate, review, subscribe to this podcast, whatever you do, podcast that helps us keep chugging along and getting awesome people like Mike to come talk to us. Uh, thanks to SDN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos for sponsoring us. Thanks to Favor, drinkofavor.com for presenting us. Uh, for Adam Hill and Dave Shane, I'm Ben Goats. This is the Golden Edge Podcast, and we'll talk to you guys again real soon.